Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon. And today we are here with my good friend, Exo Academian. Uh, I call him Exo, otherwise known now as, as Darren King, his uh, alternate ego, I call it. <laughs> Welcome, Darren. Hi, James. Good to see you. You can call me whatever you prefer. Either one's good with me. Yeah, I'm so used to calling you Exo over the years. Yeah, I remember when I, I was actually on your show, I think, right? When maybe my name came out like the first time, my actual yeah. name. And uh, you had a hard time. You're like switching XO, Darren, XO, Darren. Yeah. yeah, but my default is anytime I'm I'm talking to you or about you, I'm like XO. Yeah, that so works. I like it. It's yeah. always stuck with me. Right. Uh, so welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon. It's great to have you here. Uh, you know, I know you have a lot going on. You have uh, Point of Convergence, which is your your podcast, and you also have Liminal Frames, and you have up, some upcoming projects that we'll we'll get to in this discussion. Um, and and people uh, can refer to. I think we did two previous talks on here um, that people can refer to those conversations to um, get caught up on. But you know, since since the last time we talked, there has been so much going on in uh, in uh, you know. I, I can't even say the UFO world anymore or the UFO community because it's it's spread out beyond that, far beyond that now. Right. And into uh consensus reality. So um let's um let's consider and talk about some of the current events that are going on. You know, given given everything that's been going on in the last few months, you know, we had uh David Grush come forward as the first official on, you know, on the books UFO whistleblower with some pretty explosive testimony and uh, a congressional hearing by the oversight committee in, that included David Grush and, and, and two uh, former Navy pilots. So um, with all that in regard, what are, what are some of your thoughts on the ongoing events that we're seeing play out now in, uh, you know, consensus reality? Right. Yeah, it's we were just talking before we went on the air about it because it's been remarkable in a couple of different ways. One, because it's just unprecedented. You know, I don't think any of us were expecting this degree of movement, even politically. Not just the hearing, like you mentioned, but even the Chuck Schumer legislation coming out of the Senate is really remarkable. You know, mentioning an expression like non-human intelligence something like 20 times, called the Disclosure Act of 2023. Chuck Schumer coming out, coming out and saying that UAP disclosure and declassifying as much as possible is one of his three main focuses this sort of season, this congressional season, season along with you know competition with China, handling AI and disclosure and you know openness about UAP with the American people. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, if you and I would have said five years ago that we pictured a time where the Senate Majority Leader would put UAP disclosure as one of his top three priorities, we wouldn't have believed it. We would have laughed ourselves out of the house because it's just so remarkable. But in the midst of that, it's also equally remarkable, I think, and notable that the lame, uh, the I was going to say the lamestream, that kind of works. The mainstream legacy media has really not picked up on this like you would expect they would. In fact, they've basically done as little as possible. They have to cover something now because basically when Congress is holding hearings and whatnot, and that hearing was amazing, just really detailed questions, 
you could tell that these different politicians were hungry. They sensed that there was meat on the table, so to speak. They knew that something was here. They were pressing people like Dave Grush to find out how can we uncover this? How can we pull at this yarn and get at this secrecy? So you didn't get the sense at all that they were suspicious of him or doubting of his claims at all. In fact, you've had Congress people come out and say, Sean Kirkpatrick, why are you giving David Grush such a hard time? He's already testified to being intimidated by his superiors. He talked about administrative terrorism, and we saw some more of that happen. And rather than it working, what actually happened was some of these Congress people came out and said, this is exactly the kind of thing that David Grush was talking about, and we see it happening right now. So I would say a couple of weeks ago, things were looking really, really bright and shiny. More recently, you know, you have Chris Mellon coming out, I think, yesterday saying there's no signs right now of further hearings at this moment. So we'll see what happens next. I know that there's some moves even in Europe to try to get politicians in Europe really engaging with this as well, because obviously this is not just an American thing. So we're at a remarkable turning point either way. You sort of have to pinch yourself because you wake up and go, are we really in this kind of world where this many revelations have come forward? And yet still, it's not the kind of thing that the average person is talking about in the supermarket yet. We'll see how long it takes to get there. To a degree, because I have people uh, coming to me at work and people you know, outside my uh, UFO community atmosphere that have been coming to me and, or if I bring it up, like they, they actually, it's on their, like, it's in their awareness somewhere. Right. Maybe not, it might not yeah. be yeah front and center, but they're like, Oh my God, I heard about that. And so there, there's a, you know, that acclimatization or, or whatever you want to call it slowly trickling in. But it, you, you know, again, we were, like we said before, you know, if this happened 15 years ago, it would be like so explosive and right. It seems like people are so numb to everything, you know, especially this, um, you know, again, considering maybe like 20 years ago uh, or 15 years ago, this would, this, you know, it seems like it would have been a much bigger deal, but it, it's so interesting to see that in a congressional hearing, you're hearing like things like interdimensional and, you know, right. those, that kind of terminology, not even like aliens, right. Non-human intelligence, like, you know, words that we use in our, in our, you know, uh, our research community. So that's right. it's fascinating to see that. Um, so, you know, I wanted to also touch on, uh, some deeper stuff, obviously that's kind of current events, but we got exo on. And if, if you've heard point of convergence, uh, he's always doing deep dives. So I, I saw you do an interesting tweet um, about. Um, was they it? still no. call tweets, by the way? Aren't oh, they like X, I, what do you X's? call them? X's? I don't know what they're called now. X's, yeah. Or posts, because if you do a tweet or a, re, a retweet, it's not a retweet anymore. It's a repost. Okay. Um, oh, and you know, actually, before we get to that, uh, you know, we, we were talking about like the current events and you know, how we're seeing a kind of rollout of, of what people could consider confirmation or disclosure. I know those are loaded terms, but we all know kind of what we're talking about when we say that, right? There's at least some general idea of, 
the you know the ufo reality is being understood by the greater public very slowly but surely and you know there's a lot of talk about the congressional hearings and what congress people are saying but there's not too many people um that i've heard talking about okay so you know what is the phenomenon's role in that occurring yeah, and that's kind of the elephant in the room. That's kind of the language I used, right? Because people like you and I know that this is not just some vague reference to maybe some objects in the sky or even some lights in the sky. People like you and I are very, very familiar with the intelligence behind the entire endeavor. <laughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, I think that's the question we need to ask is what is their role how will they respond? And even to what degree have they perhaps even had a role in it getting to where it is now? Because one of the questions I've been raising is it's one thing for Congress or our government to finally decide, OK, we need to slowly prep this. And you've got people like John Ramirez coming out and saying something's coming in 2027. And that set the entire timeline in 2017 to this slow bleed rollout for over 10 years, basically. But the pace at which it's going now is is so rapid that it makes you wonder if they're preparing for something even sooner than that. So that begs the question, number one, why are they doing it now and why are they doing it so quickly? So that's a question I have posed. And I have, again, in the grapevine through different sources, I have, have heard notions about different versions of the others, different factions of the others being involved in this, because when you really think about what David Grush said, I'm so thankful to what he did because you and I heard so many of these notions for so many years, right? But now we have someone, like you said, who's an official whistleblower coming out and saying this in front of Congress. And I don't think even sometimes that our community has fully reckoned with how significant that is. It's one thing to say it on a podcast or on a TV show, but to say it in front of Congress under oath become part of the congressional record is something entirely different. Even if this goes slowly, now it's out, right? It's there. It's part of the record. So he talks about accords that happen between different human governments and these others. So that begs the question, do we think that that just stopped? That happened once historically and isn't ongoingly the case? And how many of these accords are there? So therefore, how might they be involved in what's going on right now? Yeah, I'm I'm actually really surprised it went that far because, you know, people that I were speaking to that were, you know, working with the stuff behind the scenes, um, you know, before the, maybe sometime last year, you know, they were talking about this, what we're seeing roll out now happen. And they're saying, you know, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Um, or, you know, or at least that was the, the intended goal. And. I asked, well, what about what about bodies? Are we going to get to that? Are we going to get to the bodies or, or is it just going to be about the technology? And even back then, like a year ago, they were like, ah, mm, ah you know, kind of like I I don't quite know if it's going to get there, but um, just yet. Right. If that's going to be part of the initial conversation. Um, but, you know, sure enough, David Grush uh, used the term non-human biologics and uh, in his interview with Ross Coulthard on News Nation was talking about, you know, recovered uh, occupants or pilots. So that's that's an indicator that things are actually moving, you know, pretty fast. Um, but I 
I wanted to um, to ask you some other questions now. Like one was um, the impact that you think that these kind of revelations are going to have. Like we're again, we're seeing it kind of roll out. I mean, to us, we're watching so closely; it's like in slow motion, right? <laughs> but uh, the impact that this is going to have on on uh, you know the the general population. And um, and maybe even our, our the research community, right? Um, and what's going on with these kind of revelations occurring? Yeah, it's a good question. You mentioned that you have had a few people come up to you who have at least heard about this in the sort of periphery of their awareness. I've heard that too. It may be not the first conversation piece that bring up people bring up that are not part of the community, but when they run into one of us, they might go, "Hey, I heard. I know you're into UFOs, and I heard this thing." Another part that's interesting, though, I'm not sure if you've heard this, but I think there's this subtle like trepidation underlying this for a lot of people because people get nervous when there's something per perhaps in our midst that has been for a long time, perhaps even since the dawn of our civilization. But even if they don't go that far, people think about something being here that's sophisticated, that's intelligent, that's running circles around our technology and they immediately assume that clandestine nature must be something malevolent, something nefarious. So I do think what we're noticing is an interesting psychological and sociological experiment play out as we speak here. And I'm sure Congress people and whatnot are really giving some deep thought to how do we say this in such a way that maybe plays up curiosity, plays up the sense of seeding in people's imagination that something's there without saying so much that you begin to seed fear. Because as I said on Liminal Frames recently, one of the really interesting things is they're sort of like, they have this two-prong approach. On the one hand, they're saying, like the White House spokesman, for instance, said on the one hand, these things are real. In fact, it was kind of hilarious how he said it because he had such a switch in tone that everyone was like, what? What, what happened there? Was that like, you know, because he went from nothing to see here to, well, of course, this is real. We've been saying this all along. You know, it's it's affecting our pilots and their training and whatnot, and acted almost like, why is the media so slow to pick up on what we've been saying all along, which is not what has been the case historically. So it was pretty funny. But he also says, not saying what they are, not saying what they're not, leaving open the open question of, we don't know what this is, but it's real. So to even seed that into the population is pretty remarkable because as I said on the podcast, Liminal Frames, generally politicians do not want to do that. They don't want to bring up something that they cannot fully explain and that they cannot offer a response to. So again, for me, that raises questions of why are they doing it now when they don't have full understanding? Usually they want to wait until they at least have some sort of official assessment that's got some sort of consensus built around it by academics and specialists and whatnot. But they're not doing that. They're saying something's real. It's up there. It's not ours. That's one of the things that was most compelling to me was how much we finally moved beyond drones, right? We finally moved beyond this could be Chinese or Russian. Now we're really talking about this being technology that is not of Earth origin as we understand Earth origin anyway. And, and that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And um, again, like you mentioned in the in the Chuck Schumer language, you know, mentioning non-human intelligence something like 20 times and, and clearly like def defining it as well yeah is is incredible to see um so you know with with 
all all that going on and you know i know nobody can have like a definitive answer for this but this is something that we're all going to kind of wonder for now at least is you know do you have any suspicions on how uh, the ufo phenomenon again it's a whole that's a whole kind of broad thing i say the ufo phenomenon non-human intelligence it's really this whole thing i think that we're both going to agree it's not a singular intelligence um uh, you know, on the on the on the micro level, at least. Um, how do you do you have a suspicion on how non-human intelligences may uh, react to, you know, something like a confirmation or disclosure event? Well, what I've been saying is that my best understanding is that we would not be this far along already if they weren't okay with us being this far along. I'm not sure how much you've heard in the past, but I've definitely heard ruminations in the past of times where disclosure was about to happen, where even amongst the United Nations, there was about to be some sort of announcement. And at the last minute, the person going to be responsible for the announcement gets kidnapped or something like that or abducted. Yeah, abducted. Exactly. Yeah. Or somehow encouraged to not move ahead, right? right. By non-human intelligence, not by you know, some sort of agency of some government, but actually non-human intelligence actually influencing people to prevent disclosure from happening. So de facto to me, that says that if it's happening now at the pace it's happening with the clarity around it, they must be involved to some degree. Again, what I hear and what I hear from is a mix of sources, right? So people that are insiders, former insiders, also experiencers, And I think you actually need to build that kind of robust source network to really have the best understanding of what's going on as much as you can. And even then it's complicated because, you know, as you said, you hinted at, this is plural. There's different factions, different experiences contacting different kinds of intelligence, non-human intelligence. So trying to make sense of what's going on is really interesting, but I've actually heard in the grapevine from sources I definitely trust that have given me really great information elsewhere, that there actually has been an approach by factions of non-human intelligence to three governments of the world, basically spearheading this move towards disclosure. So that says not only are they sitting idly by and are okay with it, but perhaps even are responsible for some of this happening, which again, begs some other questions like why, why would they want it now? Yeah. And again, this is something of a hypothetical because it's something that we hear in the research community a lot. Um, You know, what do you think when you hear things like some some crash retrievals or some crash retrieval incidents are are a result of um, a faction dispute of non-human intelligence um, that is responsible for another ufo or you know off-world vehicle or however you want to call it crashing like star wars where they're battling each other out different factions you mean and shooting each other's ufos down something like that yeah Yeah. right i mean it's possible i think when you hear interesting reports coming out of south america and whatnot one of the things that's interesting to me is on the one hand you have skeptics and debunkers saying this is just an american enterprise why does it happen around the world? This must be just high tech, you know, black projects kind of thing, American projects. But actually, of course, there's plenty of cases around the world 
And part of it, it comes down to a lack of maybe the same techn technological capacity in some of these countries where not everyone has a cell phone like here. So sometimes things happen. It's part of the lore there. It's part of like mainstream culture, right? In some of these countries that these things go on. And only now are they getting to the point where enough people have cell phones that we're actually having footage begin to leak out of these countries. But what's interesting there is that some of those ones, you know, the reports are they're a bit more aggressive. So while you and I think recognize that most of the research that's been done talks about the majority of the experiences, the encounters being positive or at least neutral or positive, you know, I think we keep an open mind to some might be of a different sort. They may be, again, crypto terrestrials, who knows what they are, but that opens the possibility that you might have different factions with different agendas that could, you know, war against each other. But that said, my understanding, again, from sources that I trust, and I mentioned this, I can't remember if it was point of convergence or liminal frames. I think it was liminal frames, yeah. That actually, even when they have different agendas, so amongst this sort of like overarching council that has is made up of different factions that have different agendas, they don't actually go to war. The, the factions let the agendas just roll out and they see what happens. And it's part of a big experiment in how I talked about, for instance, time being more like an oceanic model, where you get waves and crests and things come together and either cancel each other out or strengthen through these overlapping kind of interference patterns. Yeah. That's kind of how they play out their agendas is what I've heard. And so for them, even it's an open question of what will happen that even for some of these others, I've heard they'll say something like, according to the way the energy looks right now, disclosure is going to happen on this date, but things might change because it's it's a dynamic situation where there's different groups with different agendas and different human groups, some, as we know, trying to hold back from this happening, others trying to push it even from the inside, even from some elements of the deep secret keepers are now wanting to get this out. So all of that's in play. I think I'm less convinced that there's warring factions that actually will like shoot each other down. I think other things are going on, a combination of historically, there's been some interesting cases where seemingly technology that was pretty rudimentary still managed to, to mess with their craft somehow. Even radar right. around World War II seemed to have some impact on them in ways that maybe they weren't preparing for. And one of the things I've said on a couple of shows is that sometimes if you have extremely advanced technology, you're not preparing for how rudimentary technology might interfere with your tech. So there's that possibility. Of course, there's also the possibility of this future human extratempestrial hypothesis that what some of them are is kind of time traveling vehicles. And then you have various elements you need to adjust to on the fly as you sort of come in from one space time to another. And that might be responsible for some of the crashes too. So I'm open to the possibility that there's some sort of warring factions, but I don't think that's my leading hypothesis at this point. And, you know, you mentioned um, basically what people have called gatekeepers, you know, the people that do not want this out. I mean, what what is your thinking on, you know, why that is and, and maybe what they're thinking uh, now nowadays? Right. Well, it's interesting because, as you know, this has been going on for so long now that a lot of the original gatekeepers have passed on and it's other generations have inherited some of these positions and whatnot. But nevertheless, I think a lot of them are the older generation 
So part of what's interesting is that techniques and strategies that worked in the 1970s and 80s don't work anymore because they're not prepared for a social media world. They're not prepared for podcasters like you and I not being part of mainstream media and yet still able to get information out. And it can happen so quickly when something goes viral. So, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you would have situations where there's been research done since then. And this is one of the ways that AI can be so helpful as we've found evidence where different newspapers around the world will carry very, very similar language, basically shooting down the UFO phenomenon, shooting down the possibility that it's real. And that begs the question, why would a newspaper in Rome and London and New York and Los Angeles carry the same sort of language? It kind of gives away that there's some sort of buying out of journalists going on controlled by factions of the DOD or some sort of, you know, gatekeepers and that kind of thing no one noticed 30, 40 years ago. But now AI can comb through all of that history, which has been documented really robustly by some really dedicated researchers. And we find these really interesting historical tidbits where we're now able to reconstruct what actually happened in the 20th century. And it's very different than what we thought happened. And What's different now, though, is that they can't use those kinds of techniques. So you see things like, and we knew this was coming, right? Trying to discredit Dave Grush, bringing up his traumatic history uh, when he was a you know, military person, bringing up his autism, things they can do, anything they can do to try to discredit him because the actual claims themselves are rock solid and they, they can't undo them. And if anybody knows anything about how these things work, if they could have undermined it, they would have already. This is what's so interesting about it. So I think they are nervous. I think that there's still, what I'm hearing is there's definitely uh, a war going on internally in terms of those that want to keep it shut, those that don't. Even in Congress, you see some Congress people who seem to be on the payroll of some of the aerospace companies that perhaps are housing some of these aircraft and whatnot, spacecraft, whatever you want to call them. And so it's still playing out as we speak. I still think it's it's touch and go in terms of where it's going to end up. I have a hard time seeing this genie being put in the back in the bottle, though. I think there's too much momentum. And part of that momentum, and this is really important, is coming from an element of that gatekeeping legacy. Like some of them also want that out. Even some of the Groups that we've heard about historically, some of the, you know, the names, I'm not going to say them, but you know what I mean? Even people that have inherited those kinds of positions are some of the people that there's a split, like one part actually want this out, one part absolutely do not. And you're actually seeing that even happen in terms of different agendas put into place. Yeah, I'm, you know, I even uh, just, you know, a number of years ago, somebody who was involved in this whole thing was you know who had had contact with people in that world and you know with the gatekeepers when they were trying to push this out to the public they had said that actually you know more than half of that group had wanted this out but that the other portion was just so um you know violent and determined to keep it right. secret that they were kind of keeping the others in place but once once you know 2017 and once there was some momentum it was almost um as if like you know we had like a wizard of oz kind of thing where you know the assumed or the 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 power structure that seemed so invincible really was not as as powerful as um 
as they would, you know, they were thought out to be, you know, not, not that there's no, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the right word for this. Mm, not that they are not formidable, but they're, they're not as invincible as, as people always had thought that they were, you know, we're seeing the, the chinks in the armor now. And, um, and the momentum has grown so it's it's almost like you said the genie's out of the bottle. It's out of control at this point. The the control mechanisms that they had before are no longer as valid. You know, it's like almost crumbling. Not only that, but if you think about what other more recent activists have been talking about that have been involved in the military and whatnot, when they're talking about seeing sometimes 30 of these things a day out on the ocean when they're on their patrols and whatnot, how do you control that? Like even if you try to control the history. These gatekeepers can't prevent what's happening as we speak. And there seems to be this ramping up that's been happening over the last few years. So I think partly also they recognize, you know, the writings on the wall. If they want to get ahead of the narrative at all before disclosure is completely taken out of their hands, they have to start doing it now. So I think that's part of what's going on, too, is there's sort of this calculus that this is going to happen with or without us. We better start now and have some control over how it rolls out, maybe even with some hopes that they can mitigate some of the criminal behavior that's happened in the past. Because of course, that's another reason why they don't want it out. And again, you've got, you know, organizations like TTSA coming out that I think was part of that move towards trying to condition the public's perception of the gatekeepers. And you think about the kind of things that Tom DeLong says, it certainly seems like he's trying to change and condition public perception of the gatekeepers and almost defend some of their secrecy. Yeah, even even just recently, there was I think there's another article that came out and I don't you know, maybe maybe I don't know. That's yeah, that's a that's a tough one to talk about because there's a lot of uh, it's kind of loaded, right? There's you got a lot of um, kind of ideas and, it's a, you know, people get very upset about that. Um, where at the same time. You know, to we have to be understanding and compassionate and, and um, realistic, even uh, to those ideas to some extent, right? Because at the end of the day, at least for a portion of them, we have to give them almost an incentive to cooperate, and that's not going to happen by us pointing fingers and and shouting at them and and demonizing them. Um, you know, there has to be some way where they, they have to cooperate with us to some extent, at least uh, some of them or the majority of them. I agree. And I think, you know, that's why some people have been banting about the notion of amnesty, right? The idea that you basically allow people to come forward within a certain period of time, kind of like what Congress has set forth in terms of the aerospace companies have a certain period of time where they need to come forward, right? If you do something like that and say, if you come forward in the public's interest and you fully disclose what you know, then you will be you know, immune from the most serious prosecution. I think I agree with you. We have to do some of that. I think part of what's going on is some of those obviously original legacy gatekeepers, maybe the ones responsible for some of the most heinous crimes have already passed on. So maybe now the ones that have inherited that legacy aren't quite as they don't have blood on their hands like some of the original ones may have but they 
would be much more likely to come forward and see this as a participatory kind of process if they know they have potential amnesty, if that's on the table. So I think we do need to do that. And the last piece I would just add about that in light of what I said about Tom DeLong, I just really want to encourage people to not either demonize or turn people into heroes. Like people are human beings. They have, everybody has weaknesses, strengths, biases. Some people lean one way. Some people lean another way. I'm not trying to say I'm anti-Tom DeLong at all. In fact, I've been over time more friendly towards Tom and some of the notions he brought forward, I've actually warmed up to, whereas at first I was pretty cold to some of them in terms of ancient history and religious influence and things like that. But I still think we need to realize he's a guy who was, you know, sought out to some degree by military groups. When you've got TTSA making agreements with the army and whatnot in terms of craft and, and material development, you have to at least ask the question, what is that about? I think we should be thankful for these people that have been part of the process and Tom and TTSA are a huge part of it, but also, you know, keep both eyes open and look for every angle we can, we can see. Yeah. And, and just in reference to that, I think, uh, you know, if people are interested in those kind of ideas, Grant Cameron did an excellent job. He wrote a book called Managing Magic and, uh, you know, it goes over how some people were tapped, um, you know, both by the phenomenon, right? Because, right. uh, you know, I love how Dr. Joseph Burks had um, put forward that idea, The or or he he took it further. I believe there's a researcher who who brought it up first, and he and Dr. Burks kind of went a little further with it. The, uh, and the intelligence counterintelligence model, where um, both not not only the um, the you know defense the Department of Defense and uh, the gatekeepers, but also the phenomenon have been using utilizing different individuals for different roles uh, to put this out. So uh, so getting to that, what are, what's some of your thoughts on that? Well, that's a really intriguing idea. I actually had a phone call with Joseph Burks about that. And he talked about that, how, number one, you and I are very familiar with his expression, prime contactees. And one of the things he's pointed out to both you and to me is that in his history, his <clears throat> relationship with some of these different prime contactees, they're not always necessarily the most moral exemplary people that they pick a variety of people from across culture. Somebody asked me recently, why do they pick the people they pick? And that's an interesting question. And it's a fascinating one. There's not a simple answer, but yeah, Joe's, model has been that they're kind of like an intelligence organization running agents, right? Like you would run an agent, you might pick a, a Russian agent, for instance, that you're going to run covert action on behalf of the American government in Russia, right? In the in the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Something like that is what he's describing, where the people themselves don't know exactly what role they're playing. They don't, they know they play a piece, but sometimes, again, this is where ego can become an issue, because if these people that are agents of the phenomenon playing a role start thinking that they're the big cheese that it's all about them they're being picked as the you know the person's going to bring us to the promised land then sometimes they're sorely uh you know disappointed because things like for instance some, sometimes what happens is the contact is just cut off because whatever the right. role they had has been fulfilled from the phenomenon's point of view and they move on to somebody else and like you say 
in managing magic, you know, that's the point that Grant makes is that over history, you can see these different people that have been picked to move the conversation forward. And like you say, what's really interesting is not just the notion that human governments have done that, but to some degree, the phenomenon is doing that. And to what degree are they doing it together? Again, when we think about accords. Right. Yeah. So that's a fascinating uh proposition and and uh you know one of the terms that i think grant had used and that was ufo messiahs right and you know you you see that sometimes with the um in you know with contactees um there could be a sense of you know being chosen and selected and and I, you know i can understand i could understand because we've seen it roll out in the ufo community for with different personalities how um you know, because of the roles that they have fulfilled, that it has almost, um, I don't want to say it's diluted their, their perception. I don't, you know, I, don't, I, I, I can't make a judgment like that, but it's, it, it's, you can see it's had an effect, right. And it's played out. And, you know, this is kind of just like a side thought on that is like, it, you know, it might be possible that they were partially chosen for that role because a little bit because of that right because th the reason i say that is you know let's say somebody like tom DeLong or even dr stephen greer um if if they didn't have the kind of attitude that they had they probably wouldn't have accomplished the mission so to speak you know it's very true and that that i think it's a fascinating piece where because of the telepathic sort of mind reading nature where these beings not only know what you know about yourself, but sometimes they know you better than you know yourself. And they might not only know you, but infiltrate your life even when you're young, right? Because often these prime contactees, as Joe Burks talks about, are often first selected when they're children or adolescents, and they're often encouraged to learn something like meditation or some sort of technique that makes them more able to receive the downloads, right? The, the mission statements that are being given for their role. And not only do they know these people so well, even better than they know themselves sometimes, and they know their weaknesses. And again, I'm not trying to infer anything nefarious there. And this is, I think, where a lot of people really struggle because they go, that sounds undermining. That just sounds like something I don't trust. But this is the thing. Our civilization is a mess. And I think they, to some degree, you could argue, feel like they have to take these, use these methods because it there's things they understand about what we need that we don't fully understand. And so while we would like them to land on the White House lawn and say, here's here's the plan, we've got a four-part plan to save your civilization and you know um, amalgamate you with the Galactic Federation, but that's not how it works. And again, some people really get freaked out by that. They just jump to the conclusion that must be malevolent, but I don't think it is. I just think they have a much more broad sweeping, uh, all encompassing agenda of which we're just one part of it. And I think what we need to do not only as, as individuals, but as a civilization is sort of re-examine our place amongst the cosmic community. And that's partly what I think people are beginning to reckon with. Okay, so you, you definitely touched on something there that I wanted to get to, and that's, um, you know, people are going to be familiar with, uh, you know, the ATIP briefing slide nine, and on, on the slide, it says, like, the, you know, the phenomenon has, you know, the ability to influence decision makers and, you know, 
uh, have cognitive human interface and cognitive human interface experiences, basically saying that they can interact with consciousness of an individual. Uh, and it goes on to say a number of things. I mean, what, what people don't see in the small print, it also says that the DOD has experimented with this and also has these capabilities. It does say that there on the slide. People should notice that. And it includes uh, the use of psychotronics, which it also says on the slide. Um, just the FYI. But what what is your thinking on, you know, there's there's kind of a a thought camp, right? And I, again, I'm not saying this is bad or I blame it or saying they're being paranoid. It's just, it is what it is. There's, you know, there's people that say because, you know, the phenomenon, um, non-human intelligence, uh, they have such advanced ca capabilities that how, you know, if they have the ability to interact with your consciousness and even influence your consciousness, how could we possibly trust them? They, therefore they, they're, they are potentially a, a major threat to us because of that, you know, and that could really send you down some crazy rabbit holes. So for, for people that may come across those questions and, and, you know, that, that is enough to, to drive somebody crazy, right? Not, not because you have the question alone, right? But you also have this divide in, in consensus reality because you have an authority, um, like the institutions of the world telling you it's not true to begin with, but then you kind of like know for yourself, well, yeah, it obviously is true. But on top of that, you, you have these other things like saying, you know, this phenomenon is so advanced in capabilities that how could we trust them? And, you know, part of that might be coming from us looking at our authorities and not being able to trust them, you know, and it being like as above, so below. So what, what's your kind of thinking on that and people coming into those kind of questions? I think they're valid questions. I can understand why people go there. <clears throat> I've seen some people make that very point that the second perception and behavior control is in the mix, then, you know, it's game over to some degree, because how could we possibly defend ourselves if we needed to against a force that can do that? And that's why it's pretty hilarious when people talk about, I feel like I'm going to have to like take up arms against these things in my front yard one day. I'm Good like, luck. it doesn't work that way. I mean, <laughs> you know, they'll just keep you in your bed. They'll freeze you. You know, like yeah. I, I, again, I'm talking, I'm not even talking about the ones that I think are malevolent, but when they, you know, I know experiencers who are part of the abduction phenomenon in the nineties that, you know, they wake up, they're surrounded by graves and they go to grab a gun or something and they just point a wand at them and they freeze. Right. And they can't, they literally can't move. So I know people who went from having like, 20 guns in their house constantly to realizing their better hope is to like have a bunch of cameras and hope that cameras are enough to just you know, ward them away kind of thing. Uh, now I know, again, I know people that are coming to this for the first time or have, you know, an overarching malevolent view that just plays into that narrative. Right. But again, I think they, to some degree, see us like the caged animal, the cornered animal that's going to lash out. So, what you often hear also is that once people develop a relationship, more of a trusting relationship, once we get past fight or flight, then a lot of those techniques are no longer used. So I just want to encourage people that it's not like they only use those techniques. There is more of a relational dynamic that can come in as well. And again, I just want to emphasize, as I know you well know, that the majority of interactions are regarded as positive, especially once you have enough time to reflect on and get over the trauma around the ontological shock. 
of suddenly these beings that shouldn't exist, like you say, our institutions say they don't exist, they can't exist. And yet, you know, they're sitting on your bed and your mattress is depressing because some physical being is on your bed. This is not just in your mind. This is not virtual. So, or if it's virtual, it's affecting your bed too. And at that point, you know, you just sort of, everything goes out the door because then reality itself is completely controlled and you really can't get anywhere. So I don't go that far. But I think what I would again emphasize comes back to what we talked about before with, with Joseph Burks in terms of they have an overarching plan of which we are just one part. We are one player in a cosmic game. And even when we look at ourselves as being the central players, we're not. And this is one of the big shifts that has to happen for us is that we're so used to thinking ourselves as the apex intelligence, as the decision maker for every other species on the planet. We justify doing that without even thinking about it. And suddenly when we're in the receiving end of that, we're a higher intelligence that trumps our capacity to such a degree that they can control, you know, even behavior and perception, then that really messes with our sense of being the apex intelligence. But I think for people like you and I who've had actually experiences, we come away going, we are inspired, we are encouraged, we are furthered, our perception of reality is expanded. It opens our consciousness. Even sometimes, I think I want to introduce to the discussion the idea that even encounters that are traumatic can also be openings for consciousness development, for consciousness breakthroughs, not just incremental shifts, but completely new, like developmental elements of consciousness. So I would even suggest that sometimes the shock might be part of what's necessary to open your mind enough that you can really have a transformational shift, right? So I often will bring this up with people like Whitley Strieber will say, on the one hand, it was horrifying. He initially looked at his, his experience as kind of like rape. It felt very much like a violation. But he also says, at the same time, when he looks back at it, that that degree of like shocking you out of your consensus reality perspective might be the very thing that produces the opportunity for the greatest spiritual transformation in the history of humankind. And when you look at our civilization right now and how we are seemingly sowing our own demise, I'm just reading right now the new um, Interstellar by Abby Loeb, and he, he makes that point in the book that in the midst of finally reckoning with there being some other kind of intelligence here, and he seems very confident that we're going to have confirmation very soon, maybe even this year he talks about because of the things he's found. He thinks that we need that wake up. And I agree with him on that because we are headed down a path of self-destruction. So as much as all of these things seem shocking, they seem over the top to some people, they're not comfortable with the degree of control they wield over us. At the same time, it's like Lord of the Flies. Like we're, we're out of control. We're seeding our own demise. We are destroying the planet, the biosphere along with it. You know, it's something that needs to be shaken up. And so for me, I look at all of that being part of the picture. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, also the, the idea that, you know, we're being engaged as a civilization or that there's other advanced intelligence out there isn't even like the most shocking part for some people. I think, I think that like the, the most shocking or disturbing part or the, the, the thing that creates the biggest divide in like the consensus reality is that, you know, you have to come to grips 
to some extent that you've been, you know, you've been lied to or, or, you know, duped or however you want to say that. And that's something I keep coming back to because, you know, you have to rethink everything uh, basically that you're, you've been told. And if, if you were lied to or tricked or deceived or misled on that issue, you know, what else, what else have you been misled on? Um, But, but then there, there is the other layer of, you know, oh my God, there's um, these non-human intelligence and, uh, you know, you have the the two layers of that. Because then again, the, the universe is a, a much um, kind of greater thing that you thought you were led to believe. So, you know, it's almost like the, the, the John Max uh, passport to the cosmos. You know, once you have a, a contact experience, it really, you know, it opens the universe up to you to to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think what I often say about this topic relates to what you just said there, that this is the one topic that leaves no other topic unscathed. Because if this is true, to the degree we're talking about, or even like religious history, the forming of our civilization, our meaning-making structures that we've built around potentially contact with, non-human intelligence in the ancient history, then on top of that, you've got 20th century history, which is considerably different than what we were taught. Then you wonder what is left of the consensus narrative that we all grew up with. Not much. And so that's why it'll be so interesting to see how this does bleed out slowly and how we sort of integrate these different elements and how that changes our view. Because like you say, to some degree, it's like the Truman Show that not only are they here, but perhaps the entire enterprise is like a stage play. Even what we think of as the physical universe being base reality, perhaps even being a construct that's part of this evolving consciousness game of which they are kind of the the stage keepers and we are the people on the stage unaware that we're part of a play. And it being for the sake of the evolution of consciousness, which also raises the possibility that this kind of fractal nature to reality is part of what's in play here. And that eventually we too would, if we survive long enough, get to the point where we might seed civilizations and watch as they sort of grow and begin to become accustomed with the idea of who they are, being connected to source, being connected to this larger cosmic community. But I think even if we were in that position, you would recognize that there's times where just like with little kids, you have to shield them from some elements of reality, not because it's malevolent or nefarious, but because it's in their best interest and part of the health of their developmental stage. So I think that's partly what's in play too. Yeah. And again, this is something you X'd or tweeted or posted on uh, X or however you want to break it down. <laughs> We're going to have to come out with a new way to explain that. But uh you know, again, this gets this is this has come up in like the UFO lore over the years plenty of times. Is um, you know, that some of these non-human intelligences, and I think maybe even Tom DeLong talked about this, right? Uh are are harvesting souls, and that's you know part of the abduction phenomenon. What what's your some of your thinking on that? Well, <clears throat> one thing I'm pretty picky about and I try to be responsible about it's not always easy is the terms we use the language we use especially language that's loaded with connotation the problem with the word soul is it's got so much loaded connotation in religious language and there's already 
such a long history of concerns amongst religious people that the devil is trying to steal your soul, rob your soul, and determine your future in eternity, burning in you know fire and brimstone kind of thing. Then when people hear that, that have that part of their background, that now there's aliens harvesting souls, they begin to put two and two together in their mind and go, so what if aliens are actually demons or demons are aliens, whatever the case, these are the minions of Satan. And this is some vast, you know, satanic deception, a la the Collins elite. Yeah. Then suddenly you're going to have people panicking, right? Panicking. And I don't think that's what you want to do. Even if you think that's part of it, you have to be responsible about how you roll this out. So I get concerned when I see people using that kind of language, especially if what they actually meant was something that you and I both know is part of the phenomenon, which is that they can take your consciousness without taking your body. And they can put your consciousness in a certain place. As I mentioned on Liminal Frames, they can sometimes take your consciousness and leave your body, other times take your consciousness with your body for the same person. I've literally had people talk about being on board the craft, sometimes feeling like they have to use the bathroom and sometimes not. And often that'll be a sign to them whether or not they're actually in their physical body or not. So that's already mind blowing for so many people because it completely already is so outside consensus reality for people like you and I, who are familiar with notions like out of body experiences, near death experiences, psi phenomena, we go, this is, this is part of consensus reality according to us, but to the average person it's not. And so to the average person, they might leap from consciousness moving around and not being only hosted in your body to actually being concerned that your eternal soul is on the line because of these beings. And I can't think of anything more that would cause panic than that. Yeah, for sure. And I don't mean to laugh, but I, just the way you're describing it and yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, right. uh, sorry. Um, yeah. And I mean, yeah, for, if, you know, when you put it like that, it's, it's, it kind of sounds alarming and, you know, even, even again, you know, Tom has, I think mentioned that before. And um, I don't know if he, if he had been given that idea just from reading books or one of his advisors, I'm, I'm not sure. Cause even I'm sure amongst uh, people in the gatekeeping group, there are, is that kind of ideology. Like you, you mentioned the Collins elite um, and, you know, they're kind of thinking, uh, you know, and, part of their thinking was you know if you let the awareness out about the ufo phenomenon then you're inviting you're inviting the the demons or the devil into our world basically uh uh i just had a question and it went well let me just comment on that because i think that's important to point out for people who don't have a religious background who aren't schooled in theological perspectives but one of the things that lou elizondo pointed to is that there are people in high positions within the government within the dod and whatnot that are very religious in their perspectives to the point where they want to shape public policy based on their religious views and as you said some of them just think that anything to do with this stuff must be demonic i remember even joe mcmonagall talking about this when I spoke to him at Monroe last year, how he would sometimes be in a meeting with Congress people. One person would come up and say, you're doing the work of the devil. You need to stop. 
And another congressperson will say, you're doing the work of the Lord. God bless you. Same people, both with religious perspectives and both trying to say we should shape public policy based on their own religious view. So the concern, like you said, for people who are not familiar with religious perspectives, people who grew up in evangelical circles and whatnot are very familiar with this, this notion that to even entertain the idea of anything to do with psi phenomena or the occult or aliens is to open your front door to Satan and his minions, and they are trying to deceive you. They are using trickery to make you think they're one thing when they're actually something else. And once the door is open, it's game over. And then it's like the loss of not just one soul, but all the souls on the planet, potentially. That's literally what's on the table, the perspective of some of these people. And they are doing their darndest to prevent disclosure because they think even to ask the question is a bad move that will be will seed our demise. That's basically what's really going on. Maybe that'll help some people understand why they're so close to this. They think you can't even think about it. Don't even think about it. I remember being in church circles when I was a kid where some people didn't even like to say the name Satan. You know, they would just say the enemy, right? They would say something like that because again, there's that feeling that to even talk about it, like invites the possibility that it's going to come into our midst. And so when you have elements of this phenomenon that do not seem just physical, right? They are physical, but they're also quasi-physical and they're metaphysical. And so if your only view is that there's humans and animals on the earth, and then angels and demons, God and Satan, if those are the only options and something's here that's kind of metaphysical, quasi-physical, you're going to lump it in one of those other categories. And again, the default position is if it's something that's kind of tricky and hard to pin down, it's very likely going to be Satan. So don't mess with it. That's basically their perspective. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's notable that um, in the 1990s, uh, yeah, I believe it was the, the late 1990s when you had things uh, like the Disclosure Project that were going on, you had uh, Monsignor Balducci from the Vatican and he was the Vatican's top demonologist. And he, he was saying, listen, like, of course, you know, there are going to be other beings in the world. Why would an infinite creator create one singular, you know, you know, human race and nothing else. And he said, you know, probably, and you know, again, this is coming from somebody who's involved with the Vatican um, and you, you can find the videos on YouTube of him talking about this at Monsignor Balducci. And he said, you know, on a hierarchy, you know, humans, we're we're probably on the very low end of the intelligence totem pole. Like there are, you know, say humans are like down here and you have angels all the way up here. There's probably a variety of intelligences somewhere in between that and an infinite, war, you know, universe that's created by an infinite creator. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting how the Catholic Church has kind of positioned themselves over time to at least prepare their flock for the notion of extraterrestrial intelligence and perhaps even interdimensional intelligence. They are taking a very different uh, approach than most evangelicals and saying that, like you said, the cosmos is vast. The creator is very creative. Why would he limit himself to one painting when he could use the palette to paint many paintings across the vast expanse of the cosmos? And then you add to that the vast history of the of the Catholic Church, what they have in the Vatican archives, what they know about orbs, right? What they know about St. Francis of Assisi and yeah. 
these things that happen to people that get too close to orbs or too close to some of this phenomena. They know about this stuff, uh, at least a certain elite group within the Vatican do. And so they have some of the best information historically that we have as a human race. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's the 1933 uh, story about a, a vehicle, a vehicle in Italy that, you know, there was a communication between the Vatican and the U S and that's how we ended up uh, learning about that and becoming yeah. in possession of it. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted to shift a little into um, consciousness Um one one question is uh, you know in regards to contact um you know what do you or even let's say you know people know i'm interested in ce5 and human initiated contact do you see that having a role in 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 as things progress yeah in fact i think one of the really interesting questions is how does this change the entire picture, perhaps even the fabric of the construct of our reality? Because I think ultimately physical reality is a manifestation of consciousness, not the other way around. So what happens when en masse, hundreds of thousands or millions or billions of people not only become aware of the phenomenon, but become aware of something like CE5 and start working with that, practicing these protocols en masse? How does that anchor that reality into this reality? How does that perhaps even cause some sort of transition, an amalgamation of different constructs even? Now, again, the religious people are going to be like, no, that's exactly what we're warning about. But what if this is something positive and that this maturation of our collective consciousness is key? Because I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough yet is how for especially for some of the most ascendant groups, they think like a collective. We think, you know, this again, we have this negative connotation from like Star Trek with the Borg resistance is futile. Right. You can have, in fact, when you do have telepathic contact and not just like telepathic sending of words, but full presence, yeah. you know, yeah. my full history, I know yours, right? People talk about this as experiencers being overwhelmed by feeling like they have no privacy. And again, some people go, that doesn't sound good, but that's because we're used to this illusory notion of being an individual that's not connected to everything else. So what CE5 does and what disclosure does potentially is open up all of that. We might see a vast increase in humanity's ability to be telepathic. This might even be the historical event that sends us on the trajectory to becoming some of these beings, right? If we have time travel involved and whatnot. So I think it's really an interesting question, fascinating question about how this consciousness component will play when suddenly this becomes not just a fringe movement, but like a mainstream movement. Yeah. And, you know, in regards to CE5, things like uh, meditation and, uh, you know, opening your awareness are, are, you know, something that is, is super helpful. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's the foundation necessarily, but a, a, and to some extent, it, if, you have that um, refined kind of consciousness and awareness, it's going to open everything else up and certainly make it easier. You know, it's going to give you the ability to navigate that rather than kind of just blindly walking through it. And um, you actually, you actually have a, uh, a course coming up dealing with awareness. Is that correct? I do. It's called expanding awareness and it's part of my essence of being initiative 
which I have started, and it's part of what I do is within the Johnny Mac Institute. Uh, and basically, the notion there is that partly because of the legacy, even going back to the 90s, when John Mack would interview these different experiencers and how they would so often, as we know, receive this message that your civilization is headed down a bad path. Things will not go well if you continue on the trajectory you're on. You need to shift your perspective on who you are, how you're connected to each other, how you're connected to the earth, how you're connected to the cosmic community. That's been a central element. I think one of the really interesting pieces in terms of how this is playing out in the mainstream is there's still nobody going and saying, let's, let's find a bunch of experiencers and ask them what they're hearing. So we have this elephant in the room with these others, but still experiencers are not really part of the conversation in the mainstream yet. That has to change at some point. And once they do start interviewing experiencers, they'll find that this warning message is so, so key. So for me, not only is that the case that these others have frequently warned about this? And I know for me and my own experiences, my own kind of downloads, that's been front and center. So we know that we need to make like systemic changes. We need to eventually get past capitalism. We need to get past fossil fuels, all these things. And there's so much like stick in the mudness uh, in terms of people not wanting to move away from things because they're concerned about paying their mortgage and putting their kids through school as you and I both know how that works. Um, they have these daily affairs they're concerned about. But if we don't consider the whole, then eventually the whole thing could go down the drain. And it, the warning signs right now are really problematic. So in addition to that, not only have these others been warning us, but when you think about like the aerial school encounters, right. they basically warned these kids back then. And what you'll often hear now from those very kids that are now young adults, they'll say, you know, darn it, if they weren't right, like we've clear cut all the forests around here, right? We've moved further along the very trajectory they warned us about. So not only do you have the others saying that to many, many experiencers trying to send that message to humankind, but of course, anybody who is a meditator, someone who has a deeper sense of consciousness being connected to more than just themselves, has this same concern that we are too myopic in our approach. So we need systemic change. But the thing that I've been really you know, struck with is that we can't just have systemic change. If we don't change who we are, then eventually that system will crash too, or corrupt human leadership will once again cause a problem. Because again, one of the really interesting things about the history of this phenomenon is when they have tried to provide information, technology, civilization-changing technology, free energy, medical innovation, it's been suppressed and kept by an elite, not only recently, and again, David Grush kind of hinted at that, but I'm talking about even an ancient sort of human civilization. So the only way we're going to get past that bottleneck is if we change as a people. And so my whole point with Essence of Being, and it begins with the Expanding Awareness course, is about changing the way we are with each other, with ourselves, with the planet, with the cosmic community. And it's about unlearning many of the lessons we unfortunately learned as part of Western civilization, just rushing through and becoming productive members, making money, you know, like generating the machine again, and then until we're dead, and then the next generation does it. And the whole time we're just, you know, putting the planet in more and more stress. So the goal is to really strip down to the basics and rethink who we are. 
get in touch with the depth of who we are. People like you and I who have a deep history in meditation and Buddhism and whatnot and Eastern spirituality, we know what it's like to place yourself outside of your body mind, to actually be in contact with the whole and how much more enlivening that feels and how freeing it feels and how you, when you can touch something that is eternal, something that cannot die, then suddenly that changes your perspective entirely. And if that is how we saw ourselves, rather than going, well, that's some other generation's problem because I'm only going to be here for 80 years and then I'm gone. If instead you realize, actually, I don't get to go away. I keep existing mm -hmm. in some form or another, and I'm part of the whole. So even my sense of self-interest expands to be what's in the interest of the whole. If we learn all that. We learn about who we are in our depth and how we are multidimensional beings, right? Again, there's consensus reality so truncating with physicalism. So I want to open up all of that, who we are in ourselves. That in itself is a, an interesting part of the phenomenon that no one talks about much. Who these others are, how we're connected to them, how we're connected to the planet, and real cosmic source too, like really rooting ourselves in that, like a non-dual understanding and how that can and will change our civilization if we really get there. So my hope is that we expand that two by two, four by four, and we just keep expanding it out until you have this kind of wildfire that takes over where people really shift who they are, how they understand themselves and the connection to the whole. That in cooperation with systemic changes, I think is what is required to really save our civilization basically and i think i'll just say that for me that's been impressed upon me by nhi as well that that's what i need to do that's my role in this and so that's why i feel so passionate about it and uh yeah i'm going to encourage people to find your work in that course when it when it's available do you know when do you know when it's going to be available like information about that it will be available this week so uh sometime midweek it'll probably be there'll be a website up for essence of being and people will be able to read about what they're going to learn there and again it's more like a workshop than just a conceptualization thing it's very much about learning these skills these practices and there'll be a website up and they can enroll on there and it'll be an online course that'll be once a week running for 12 weeks starting in september yeah and you know just for people hearing that right like say they want to do the course, is there anything that they would need to do to prepare to that? Or, or is there something they should start wrapping their mind around to, to get into that? I would say to think through how they see the problems we face in the world and why do they feel like these are intractable problems? Why do they feel like they're unsolvable? Because I think one thing that's really interesting is most people recognize that something's wrong with the system, but they also feel completely disempowered to do anything about it. I think that's where it begins. We change our perspective on these things. We change how we see these things. So to some extent, clearing your mind, clearing your expectation, coming in with a fresh mind as someone who doesn't know much and you're open to learning from the beginning. Beginner's mind, right? From a Buddhist perspective. Yeah, yeah. If you can come in with that, putting aside everything you've learned and try a new approach and see where you end up and see if it's actually better. For sure. Yeah. I, you know, and as that goes on, I definitely have to have you come on and talk all about that. Um, Cause that, you know, that's some of the deeper conversations for sure. Right. right. Um, but uh, uh, Darren XO, it's, it's been great having you back on here. Um, just uh, where, where can people find your work currently? Well, they can find my, podcast point of convergence on any of the 
main podcast platforms. I also have my YouTube channel, Exo Academian. I also have another podcast that I co-host with my friend Nathan. It's a friend of yours too, called Liminal Frames. That is its own podcast, but it's also on my YouTube channel, Exo Academian. So they can find all of that there. And like I say, Essence of Being information will be up soon, up this week, and I will post about that on social media. Yeah, and I'm going to have all the links in the description. Uh, so, you know, thanks again for spending your time with us, XO. Uh, <laughs> and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. It's been great. Whenever you want me on, I'm here, James. Sounds Definitely. good. Definitely. All right. Take care. Thanks.